Dead men tell no tales. Fifthly men, older in man's chest. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean Minute podcast where we analyze, analyze scrutinize, and plunder, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from ScottArtis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from BlackPearlMinute.com. You're more like from I'm HammerTime.com. What are you talking about? Your drunkenness. Because it always shows through is when you start hornswoggling my introduction. Then people go, oh yeah, yep, she's hammered today. That's how they know. That's the clues. Thanks for joining us for Minute 58 of Dead Man's Chest. Let's forego the foreplay and let's just jump into the Dead Man's Chest sack. Everyone out there ready? This minute brought to you by Cosentino Winery. Especially for Heather, the dark. Don't be afraid of the dark. I'm really trying to bully companies into sponsorship now. It's like Gorilla advertising techniques but it's like the opposite it's like gorilla sponsorship techniques (laughs) plus i'm guzzling wine you were certainly guzzling wine like i said cosentino's the dark see if we can't get a sponsorship out of them we'll let them know that we have gobs of listeners but we don't want to put any metrics on it we're not that kind of people just gobs (laughs) yeah we don't need to tell them they just need to know that we're reaching uh thousands and thousands hundreds of thousands of people (laughs) In total, <laughs> which is good. I'm glad for the new listeners. Yeah. Hey, thanks for being part of the show. Let's just say that. Exactly. The thousands upon thousands of listeners. We've had a, yeah, we'll just leave it there. In the previous minute, Jack holds his jar. Tia Dalma rids herself of crabs. Wow. Claws. Jack attempts to spread diseases. Will embraces his bravado. And we get our first, well, let's just say this. Our first, as far as Will's concerned... Look at the infamous, dreaded, formidable, and unholy Flying Dutchman, a ship feared by the likes of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise and real 17th and 18th century sailors. Yeah, it's stranded on the shoals. Now that's an introduction. Like I said, the Flying Dutchman, as far as uh, Will is concerned. Really? Yeah. You have to You have to explain that. I do, it just you bugs me. You couldn't just wait one more minute? I couldn't. That's I ridiculous. Say, I didn't explain it i just said as far as will's concerned he's looking at it treacherous minute 58 begins with will turner climbing into the long boat from the black pearl jack calls down oi how'd you like my oi oi if you do happen to get captured just say jack sparrow sent you to settle his debt might save your life the minute ends with will sneaking around the deck of the finger quote flying dutchman with lantern in hand will hears a sound and makes his way towards a member of the Dutchman crew pulling a rope. Okay, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. What? We gotta stop here. What did I do wrong? I just said it was the Dutchman. I understand, but we are looking at this movie minute by minute. At this current moment, we, as the audience, 
Assume that is a flying Dutchman. That's true. So why are you trying to clarify this? I don't, we don't I need to clarify this we because just, we, as the audience, looking at this moment from this minute back, assume this is a flying Dutchman. And meanwhile, while Heather was actually saying that, she moved my little dog icon over into the doghouse. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the doghouse now. I was just saying. I know I you going. were just saying. Here's what I love about this movie because I'm going to try and dig myself out of this. Okay, and I love about the Sparrow character. So it's like a twofer here. One moment there's a comic moment. Something the audience is in on but lost on Will. Is that he tells him to say Jack sent him over to settle his debt. He's always trying to cheat his way out of a situation. Never facing the real music. Always looking for the easy way out. The simple solution. This is no different. Just maybe Will can be his sacrificial lamb. And maybe like this unlikely but worth a shot. Maybe free him from Davy Jones' debt. Yeah, I was going to say this isn't good advice to follow, I wouldn't assume. No, it's classic Jack. Classic Bugs Bunny. Bugs misleading Elmer Fudd. Trust me, this will get you out of a bad situation. Why would I lie to you? You know, you put on the big brown puppy dog eyes kind of thing. Or bunny eyes in that situation. (laughs) Why would I lie to you for that type of thing? This is the trickster at his best. That is like Bugs Bunny and Jack. Right there. Boom. And as soon as Will is off rowing, then Jack immediately changes his tune and the serious captain makes an appearance. That's why I was saying I love this, because it's the comic, then all of a sudden, serious Jack comes out. The wise, Jack the wise. And I know what I'm doing, captain in charge kind of deal here. The goofball persona he often plays is sometimes just an act because he switches personalities and has this like commanding presence every so often. So does Jack just play the comical card and is really strategic Or is he really just a goofball with moments of genius and assertiveness? It makes sense for him to tell Davy Jones that he's here to pay Jack's debt because maybe that would get Jack out of it. No, but I'm saying just in general, not for this particular moment. Oh. Because this comes up a number of times. Is Jack a goofball but has like these one-off moments or moments here and there? Or is he just playing this kind of role? Oh, yeah. He's just playing that goofball side because i guess even in his lightheartedness he still has like some strategic moments yeah he always has a plan yeah of course but it seems like it's a way to make people underestimate him maybe that's how he gets things done maybe they should estimate him. that's right maybe they should estimate him people don't recognize him as a genuine threat this way that's how he manages to get people to say at one moment he's the worst pirate they've ever seen and then when all is said and done he's the best pirate they've ever seen Like, it's definitely working to his advantage. Yeah. That's why they need to estimate him. That's why Norrington screwed up. He didn't estimate him. Exactly. And we all know what happened to Norrington. No, we don't, actually. We don't know what happened in Norrington. Yeah. So So I don't know what you're talking about. That's right. I uh, jumped accidentally into the future, the way future. Norrington's gone. Let's just say that. If you don't estimate Jack, then you just disappear from the movie franchise until later on in the movie. So there we go. And Jack's moment of command, though... When he finally... Because he goes from serious. It's actually really good. I like it. He gets like all of a sudden it's just like the smile goes from his face and he knows we're in deep S here. Yeah. And that's when his plan just like comes to fruition. And he says douse the lamps. Here's actually how the script describes the scene. The black pearl falls back lit by lanterns. One by one the lamps are doused. 
The last lamp is held by Jack. He grins, his cap teeth shining as he turns it down. His smile lingers like the Cheshire cat, then is gone. The Black Pearl, the black ship with black sails, is invisible on this black night. That's from the final draft of the script there. The final product of the script. Or the final script. Final draft. However you would say it. <laughs> final whatever. And that's what's actually... We, well, we don't quite see that come to fruition. It's a bit different the way it pans out in the movie with this whole scene. But Jack obviously wants to keep a low profile. He wants to be out there but not be seen at all. Well, of course. And because there's no moon, it's like really dark at sea. Well, anywhere actually. But like we're, we're so affected by light pollution, most of us might not even have experienced like true darkness. Cave dark, I'm talking about. I'm not talking like you're in a closet or something like that. <laughs> you know, like I'm trapped in a closet because Heather put me in there and I can't get out. But yeah, this true darkness that it's like open space and then it's pitch dark out. It's like, remember when we were in that lava tube in Hawaii? We hiked in there forever and when we finally got way down in there, we decided to turn the flashlights off. Or more like I decided that we should turn our flashlights off. Yeah, and I didn't think it was a good idea. Yeah, you didn't like that for some reason. No. It was crazy dark. You can't see your own hand in front of your face. That's how freaking dark it was. Yeah. It was amazing. I think you were more afraid that the flashlights wouldn't come back on. Like, we turned them off. All of a sudden, we're in a horror movie and the flashlights stop working. I was afraid the ceiling was going to come down on me, actually. How's that possible? I don't know. There were chunks of ceiling there all over the place. There were chunks of ceiling all over the place. It's like, oh, no, it's safe. Don't mind the rubble from the ceiling. We didn't have hard hats on either. No, we have uh, skulls. Yeah. That they were involved to help Yeah. You, to soften blows to the brain. But it reminds me of also, because we're off kind of the dark topic here, because we got to keep rolling. It's kind of on the dark. It reminds me of Master and Commander when the surprise is being pursued by the Acheron. You know, they make a raft with lanterns on it and douse the ship's lights while at the same time uncovering the lanterns on the raft. Kind of making this like decoy for the Acheron yeah. to follow. That's what this kind of reminds me of. It's like this entire sequence because it involves lanterns and ships. That's really it. <laughs> but that's what it reminds me of. Other than that, I mean, it's not really the same thing, except that they're hiding kind of in plain sight. Yeah. Because kinda. it's so dark. It's just hidden in yeah. plain sight. And your eye out there is drawn to the faintest light. And so even when Will is in the longboat, you see he doesn't have the lantern kind of being held up. It's actually in the boat itself. Yeah. On, resting on the floorboards. So it's not even on like the bench or something of the longboat. It's actually down yeah. on the floorboards. But your eye would catch that faint light way out there. Right. And the Black Pearl then just disappears like in the script. I found it interesting that everybody that put out the light put it out in a different way. Yeah. What is with that? Is that just like a creative kind of keep your interest or something? I mean, I really like the close like tight shot of Marty when he does that. Yeah. I thought that was really good. But they actually did, they did kind of tight shots with everybody uh -huh. when they were putting it out. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. It just was like nice to see. It's like almost was like Gore was like, how many people can we have put out lamps and how many different ways can we show it? Right. You would think that there would be basically one way they put out lamps. But each person had their own individual way. Yeah. So maybe it's showing that they're individuals. Maybe that's In it. In today's society, everybody's got to be an individual. Maybe. You're defined by how you put out lamps. Lanterns. Yes. I mean, other than it just being creative, I thought it was nice touch. Yeah, I thought so too. And plus we are getting to see just, you know, some of the characters up close. Maybe some of their personalities. 
Maybe we should have really analyzed how they put them all out, but I'm not going to really do that because I got other well, stuff. Well, Marty put his out, licked his fingers. Oh, so you didn't put it out with the can with the his yeah, fingers. showing his strength. Yes. Okay. And then the next person, I think it was Gibbs, used a snuffer, and then the last person because he likes to get snuffed with rum. Okay. The last person put it out by blowing it out. Yeah, I think and that so. was Pintel, maybe. I think so. How did we not look at that better? I don't know. I, I, Expect you to bring some of that to the table. I got all kinds of things I'm bringing here. And you had one job. Lanterns. Lantern. Not even lantern symbology or anything like that. It's just how they put them out. That was it. Then Will arrives on the seemingly deserted flying Dutchman. Because I'm not allowed to say finger quotes or anything anymore without getting in trouble. But it looks like a wreck kind of deal here, right? But well, we yeah, it looks like Will the see- ship's in two pieces. Yeah, and we end up with Will seeing a crewman pulling a rope. I mean, not much actually happens as he's looking around. At least not really anything of a note for us. At least I don't think anyways. Okay, maybe a dead sailor. We do see that. I was going to say, he sees two seamen. He sees one the one that he's looks walking like he's to. possibly dead. One that looks dead. One yeah. that he's walking to who's pulling on that rope. Yes. According to legend, though, the Flying Dutchman is a fabled ghost ship that can never make port, because we were talking about this the other day. Yes. And is doomed to sail the oceans forever. And scholars believe the myth is likely to have originated from the 17th century golden age of the Dutch East India Company. So that's part of the tie-in that we're seeing here at the movie. Oh, okay. The oldest extant version has been dated to the 18th century, the late 18th century. And sightings in the 19th and 20th centuries reported the ship to be glowing with ghostly light. Really? Yeah, for the Flying Dutchman, those who've seen it. Huh. If hailed by another ship, the crew of the Flying Dutchman will try to send messages to land or to people long dead. In ocean lore, the sight of the phantom ship is an omen of doom. Of course. Well, of course. Now, that's pretty much my Seeing first a thought. a ghost ship. Yeah, you're like, uh, I gotta get the hell out of here. Yeah. The first print reference to the ship appears in travels in various parts of Europe, Asia, and Africa during a series of 30 years and upwards in 1790 by John McDonald. Huh. This is old McDonald's. Old McDonald's farm or Ronald like McDonald? Old, old McDonald. Oh, old McDonald. The weather was so stormy that the sailors said they saw the Flying Dutchman. The common story is that this Dutchman came to the Cape in distress of weather and wanted to get into harbor, but could not get a pilot to conduct her and was lost in that ever since, in very bad weather, her vision appears. Because nobody would take her into port. Damn you guys. Yeah. Now look what you've done. That's not good. Created a whole problem with the Flying Dutchman. Just because one guy couldn't go out there with his boat... Usher her in. Which is interesting, too, because that's kind of the story we're being presented with here so far. Yeah. A troubled ship, bad weather. It's kind of like all that kind of combination of things that is part of the lore is happening right here. Right. Because wanted to get into the harbor, afraid of maybe rocks and shallows and all this kind of stuff that would wreck on. Couldn't get somebody to navigate or help bring her in. Boom. Lost. Lost at sea. Right. Now we get the vision. That's kind of what... Jack is seen and everybody, and that's what Will is experiencing right now. And the next literary reference appears in Chapter 6 of A Voyage to Botany Bay, 1795, which is also known as A Voyage to New South Wales, and this is attributed to George Barrington. I had often heard of the superstition of sailors respecting apparitions and doom, but had never given much credit to the report. It seems that some years since a Dutch man of war was lost off the Cape of Good Hope, and every soul on board perished. 
Her consort weathered the gale and arrived soon after the Cape. Having refitted and returning to Europe, they were assailed by a violent tempest nearly in the same latitude. Wow. But it goes on. Okay. In the night watch, some of the people saw, or imagined they saw, a vessel standing for them under a press of sail as though she would run them down. One in particular affirmed it was a ship that had foundered in the former gale and that it must certainly be her or the apparition of her. But on its clearing up the object, a dark, thick cloud disappeared. Nothing could do away the idea of this phenomenon on the minds of the sailors and on their relating the circumstances when they arrived in port, the story spread like wildfire and the supposed phantom was called the Flying Dutchman. From the Dutch, the English seamen got the infatuation and there are very few India men But what has someone on board who pretends to have seen the apparition of the Flying Dutchman? Direct from 1795. Wow. In Scenes of Infancy, this is Edinburgh, 1803, by John Leyden. It is a common superstition of mariners that in the high southern latitudes on the coast of Africa, hurricanes are frequently ushered in by the appearance of a specter ship. Right there, that's got to be the title of the episode. Specter ship. Specter ship, yep. I mean, that's awesome. Anyways... Back to the excerpt. Dominated the Flying Dutchman. The crew of this vessel are supposed to have been guilty of some dreadful crime in the infancy of navigation and to have been stricken with pestilence and are ordained still to traverse the ocean on which they perished till the period of their penance expires. You know, I have one more because maritime tales are just so cool. Okay, maybe I shouldn't say cool. (laughs) It's like poetic. Yeah. It's like poetic. Okay, maybe that's more fitting, but maybe it's both, like you said. Anyways, just the language that was being used. It's just really interesting to hear all these old-timey sea guys talking about the... And writing about what sailors saw or some of these ghost ships and things. Especially the Flying Dutchman. So anyways, I got one more. And we'll just roll with that and then we can continue on. But the first version of this legend as a story was printed in Blackwood's Edinburgh Magazine for May 1821. Which puts the scene as the Cape of Good Hope. She was an Amsterdam vessel and sailed from Port 70 years ago. Her master's name was Vander Decken. He was a staunch seaman and would have his own way in spite of the devil. For all that, never a sailor under him had reason to complain, though how it was on board with them nobody knows. The story is this, that in doubling the cape they were a long day trying to weather the table bay. However, the wind headed them and went against them more and more, and Vander Decken walked the deck, swearing at the wind. Just after sunset, a vessel spoke him, asking him if he did not mean to go into the bay that night. Vanderdecken replied, May I be eternally damned if I do, though I should beat about here till the day of judgment. And to be sure, he never did go into that bay, for it is believed that he continues to beat about in these seas still, and will do so long enough. This vessel is never seen, but with foul weather along with her. Huh. It's always, always there... Then with storms and stuff like yeah. that. So that's what we need to keep an eye out with this movie moving forward with the Flying Dutchman. Does it appear... In storms? Out of storms, without a storm oh, there. Yeah. And this is just the tip of the iceberg on the material I have for the Flying Dutchman. And I know some of it can get like a little... Yeah, okay, because we go from like educational to really child humor on the show. But this is pretty cool to see all this like 18th century stuff. Let's just say stuff, for lack of a better word. Right. Around the Flying Dutchman and the stories. lore that has it. Yeah, yeah these, these stories, this, this mythology. And I'm going to continue to pepper in facts and legends, you know, really about 
this, the Pirates of the Caribbean film surrounding Davy Jones and the Dutchman. Okay, spoiler, the ship does span two movies. So I can, it's like, we can take information from this show and this season all the way into the next, potentially. And I don't know if I'm going to do that, though. But we'll see. Okay. As much as I want to, like, do it in one episode and go there, but people will be like, my God, this is the longest show ever. Because, <laughs> yeah, I don't want this episode to go on and on and then I have to break it up or something. But this ghost ship has been the subject of artwork, television, comics, film, literature, opera, theater, music, and radio dramas. Wow. The Flying Dutchman. Yeah. That's it's, crazy. it's crazy. Yeah, it's omnipresent. Much like the, well, let's just say, much like the ghostly lives haunting the seas. That was my attempt to be an 18th century writer, and I failed. I didn't have the the awesomeness that, that some of those guys did. Yeah. But it's pretty interesting that we're going to actually tackle a subject that has been swirling around the oceans of the Flying Dutchman. And I'm going to be honest. When I saw the movie, I'm trying to remember if I had heard of the Flying Dutchman prior to the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I did. Yeah. Davy Jones? Sure. Yeah. That's one that, you know, the going to send you to Davy Jones' locker. That goes all the way back. And yeah. that even goes back to probably maybe... Maybe the time that I first heard it, I don't know, maybe if it was in a cartoon, but the one I would remember it being in was that old 80s Popeye movie with Robin Williams, Shelley Duvall. Oh, yeah. There's a Davy Jones kind of thing going on at the end there. And I was really, really little then. So I don't know if that was like my first big reference to it other than cartoons and things. Maybe it had it. I don't know. I'm imagining there's a cartoon out there that mentioned Davy Jones's locker. I I just got to remember that. But so I don't know if I've actually heard of it before then. I'm not really sure. But it's possible that that may... I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine I hadn't heard of it. I may not have really gotten the lore of it or the connection with Davy Jones or yeah. any of that kind of stuff. So I don't remember. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. What I do find interesting more than just the individual tales and in like this maritime mythology is really the, like the prevalence of this stuff with sailors. The sea is like this mystery and the unexplained are just like given... Well, they give it an explanation to calm the nerves kind of thing. Plus... Spending so much time on the ocean, seeing things that have never been seen or described before, it just takes one person to say they saw a mermaid and then manatees become the desire of men's hearts all of a sudden. <laughs> I mean, and then it goes down into history for centuries to come and go down into mythological history. And then all of a sudden manatees are mermaids and all that fun stuff, which is probably a good topic to look into. It's like the psychology of maritime myths and why and like how they got started. It'd really be interesting to yeah. see that. It's a- it's the rum. It is. You know what? A combination <laughs> of rum, being out in the sun, being out on the sea, mirages. Yep. All of that just combines to form all these kinds of crazy things. Plus, like I said, things that they had never seen before or never been described. All of a sudden, now they're the first people to describe something. And it just kind of just moves down that telephone wire thing until all of a sudden a manatee becomes a sexy, voluptuous mermaid. And you're like, come on, guys. <laughs> now, I know that... Maybe we didn't have good glasses and optics. Okay, we did have some. But how do you confuse a manatee with a mermaid? I have no See, that's clue. what I'm saying. How does it go from manatee to voluptuous little mermaid action or something like that? Yeah, I'm not How does sure. that happen? Because manatees aren't... Uh... Come on, they're not mermaids like we've seen. <laughs> yeah. If no. that's the case, you got to make the mermaids really look more like manatees. Let's, let's just... Let's make it more realistic-like. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if they were just out at sea too long and all of a sudden anything that was moving, well, let's just say look like, hey, I date that after a while. <laughs> you know, the beer goggles, the rose-colored glasses, whatever you want to call it, 
that would transform a manatee into a sexy mermaid? Hey, those are some interesting glasses. That they are. So I don't know what to say about that. But I guess for now, let's just get out of here. And then maybe we'll like give the advice to leave manatees out of your loving. No manatee loving. Well, you can love manatees. Just keep it G-rated. How about that? <laughs> so we'll be back on Friday with Minute 59 of Dead Man's Chest. Until then, Scallywags, let's keep the horn swoggling and the mermaid manatee loving to a minimum. Under the sea. Under the sea. Darling, it's better down where it's wetter. Take it from me. Up on the shore, they work all day. Out in the sun, they slave away. While we devoting full time to floating under the sea. You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and Season 2 is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, SoundCloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, that's for best of clips, and by all means give us a plug and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, mateys. Oh, and let's not forget the Facebook Cursed Crew Listeners Group for post-episode discussions. That's actually a lot to remember, especially if you're in a foggy haze like Heather. Just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button. Perhaps I should have just said that from the beginning. This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bilge rats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.